Giraffes are like chimps with long necks. Who are we? (laughs) (laughs) What if we're like the worst people that ever lived? I need to go spread my genes. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. I watched this like chimp empire series on Netflix. And (laughs) one of the things that I didn't know that I did find really interesting. So, you know, these chimp groups, they live in the jungle and they're not huge, but there's different ones. And, you know, they compete huge. Well, it's not like there's one chimp or chimp group with hundreds of chimps. You know, they're only like I thought you meant the monkey themselves was small. Oh, (laughs) They're, they're chimps. There's, they're not huge. They're little baby chimps. Little they're baby. like little tiny ones. <laughs> um, no, so they're not that big. And there's, you know, a variety of groups. Um, and they compete over resources and territory. And right. yeah, and so they are, it's violent though, which is the thing, you know, if you don't know that, it's kind of weird um, to countenance that because. I mean, the whole documentary, it's like, these are our closest relatives. And then isn't it shocking to see, like, how intimate these social bonds they have with each other within their own tribe? And then also see how they literally kill chimps from other tribes. Um, and you're like, as a human, you'd be like, wouldn't you see that other chimp and think, like, that's one of me? Like, I shouldn't kill that thing? But instead, they don't think that. Um So that's weird. I mean, partly you may explain that by saying, well, it's just competition over resources or whatever. Scarce resources drives that competition and only, you know, so many people can survive or have access to certain resources. I think that's probably the best argument. But then I don't know what the experience of the chimp is. Like, I do wonder, like, wouldn't they see those other chimps and think at least on some level, like, that's one of me and How does that get overridden by, like, I need to kill this thing? You know, it's so strange. Well, social bonding, you know, because even really simple animals, like um, we have chickens, and every time you introduce them, there's always a big hubbub, a big fight. Chicken fight. Cock fight. So different, there's like different dynamics like it's for such simple creatures, it's actually, there's lots to be observed. And so like we have one flock that kind of stays separate. Some chickens don't mind. Others get real curious. They'll come and kind of like fight a little bit. And it's all about like establishing the pecking order because that's a real thing. And I've just observed like sometimes there'll be like an accidental interaction that gets a little weird. And then the rooster, which we only have two roosters, one in each flock will come over and like make that stop like settle the dispute basically like two hens are having a weird sort of dispute or something yeah roosters do not like conflict roosters also so how do they get to be like the mac daddy well they look different i'm sure there's parts to it you know but if you give like a treat like i would say nine times out of ten because the chickens like treats like kind of no matter what if you give them something that they really like they're always like excited you know like a dog may leave his dog food but you pull out a treat and they're like oh my god a treat you know a different Mm. food 
So like nine times out of 10, if you give a, a rooster some treats, he'll take it immediately and then he'll drop it on the ground and he makes this very specific sound and he picks it up and he drops it, picks it up and he drops it and he'll like literally give it to another chicken, to a hen. Hmm. Whereas the hens never do that. If you give it to a hen in the flock, the hen will take it and just run and start <laughs> running away because all the other chickens, all the other hens will follow it. No, the rooster does not. The rooster oh, just wants the hens to get all the stuff. And I, I'm sure that establishes the hmm. cordial That's relationship kind of between yeah. them and also, you know, make sure that the hens are healthy because it's difficult to have like another rooster in there like there'll be a lot of more frequent fighting between them to like establish dominance mm, mm, mm-hmm. so which we can't do because we have a silky rooster which is like tiny and then a big old huge rooster and the silky rooster does not know that he's tiny so <laughs> anyway oh i think God. that that's probably a part of it you know because that's a very social they're yeah, they're social like... in a way, but they're simple. And even like just introducing your chickens can be a challenge. I mean, all sorts of things come up. Yeah. Yeah. Social relationships. They definitely have bonds with each other. I guess it is. Yeah. It's just so interesting how violent they are. And so here's the other thing that I noticed too is um, so apparently young females in chimp groups will leave to go to other chimp groups. And it happens sort of like as they mature into, you know, adulthood, like right as they're maturing, you know, entering late adolescence to adulthood, they'll just leave. And I thought that was just like the strangest phenomenon. Like, what? You know, like, because it's like that juxtaposed with like, when we encounter other chimp groups, we literally kill them. And then females, like sometime, not all of them, but some just get the urge to like get up and go one day. And they Maybe just walk out. Maybe it helps keep down the inbreeding that's what they were saying that the that's like the evolutionary reason but then it's like surely they don't think of it like that you know like the female isn't like i need to go spread my genes no. with <laughs> you yeah. know they don't have it like a concept of genetics yeah that i don't i'm i will forever be fascinated by and probably never have the answer to what exactly is going on in the minds of animals yeah so just weird i was like that's a weird thing and maybe too it's like you know, the tribe sees a female and it's like she's, you know, alone and more vulnerable because she's a female. So it's like they're less likely to kill her or something or attack her and whatnot. But I did think, yeah, it's just very interesting, too, symbolically. Like you think about like the feminine, like communing with the unknown almost like and then just see this like the female chimps like one day just get up and leave and leave everything they know behind and venture into like the unknown forest and elsewhere. It's very left it's, brain of the or I mean, uh was that right brain of them whichever one yeah yeah Yeah, but yeah very interesting well we try to anthropomorphize them i i heard something recently speaking of joe rogan and chimps and he just he was just making some point i thought in a way it was really profound it was profound as he said it and as he intended it but it's also profound to me and like to contemplate why it was profound like the meta analysis of it hmm and he said, he was, I guess he was talking about like aliens probably, like seeing humanity. Not that I think there's aliens out there, but he does. And what they would think, basically. And he he put it like, 
that they'd be kind of observing, like going, wow, it's these apes with bombs, with nuclear, with nuclear power and the internet, like this huge group of like monkeys. And that is a profound way to think about it. And I think, but only for a second until you realize that it's profound because it's your misunderstanding humans and you're thinking that they're similar to apes and they probably aren't, you know, they just walk sometimes on their feet and they kind of have like a human like form, you know, their eyes are in the front, their nose mm-hmm, is right mm-hmm. under their There's eyes. There's a lot of like biological similarities. But I think that, I think an ape is a lot more similar to a dog than a human is to an ape. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I, I think phenomenologically, like we're having a very different experience than those apes are having or chimps. And yeah, I don't know the, the, you know, gulf, like how large is that gulf? Um, Massive. Yeah. I mean, I, because when you put it in the context of that, we have nuclear energy and the internet, you know, then it's like, oh yeah, they don't have that. Nothing. They don't even have anything. They don't even, they hardly even know how to use tools. Yeah. Well, that's what I think you sort of recognize in them is not like the nuanced and sophisticated aspects of your behavior, but like the more fundamental things about you, which really I think it's not that it's like specific to you and chimps. I think some of it is like these are just some of the basic fundamental things about animals and the relationships that people and animals have to other animals and other organisms um because like one of the things they highlight in the documentary is like hand holding the the chimps like hold each other's hands you know which is like you could be like oh people hold each other's hands but i'm also like but that's also a very basic like form of connection between animals of the same social group like not all animals hold hands not even all animals have hands but you know they do things like that uh, which is a very fundamental you know thing that i think you can recognize um, but I don't think, yeah, to your point, it's like, oh, look how similar we are to chimps because of the hand-holding. It's like, you know, look how similar we are to everything maybe because of that is the way I would take it at least. The the thing that I find to be the most interesting about animal psychology or evolutionary theory or any of that kind of stuff, and like, so here's one more example. Crows are really, really smart. They can s- solve problems. So like to get a piece of food. A scientist can make a 13-step a process to figure out the problem, to get to the food. Oh, my God. And they can do that. 13 steps. That's a lot of steps. Like, that might be a challenge for a person, you know, <laughs> if you gave them, like... There are some people that might not be able to do yeah, that. You take away their hands, you give them a beak, and you go, here's the food is in here. Get the food out with your beak, and that's it. Thir- and you don't know how many steps there are. They don't tell you how difficult it is, but they've designed it to be 13 steps. And it's just impressive that a crow could do that. So you're like, damn, that's smart. Like, that's really freaking smart. But I think what I think is interesting about finding that kind of thing out is you can look at how similar are people to the animal kingdom in all of these different ways. Okay, so we so chimps go to war. Chimps have tribes. Chimps 
have you know so it's like oh well humans have nations and humans go to war and humans have tribes but they all look the same and you know all these different similarities like oh crows are really smart they can do 13 step problems humans can do like 1300 step problems you know or you know that's that's a, a lot we have we didn't ex, we didn't assume this was the same and now we see that it is the same and it's all fulfilling this kind of like evolutionary model but then you realize like what maybe what i'm saying is that those so like going to war is like fundamental in all of nature right right so that's like base level stuff that humans are doing too that doesn't mean that like oh well that's just natural so therefore what like it's good no like so what's that extra thing where's the link about humans that can never be drawn back to that animal kingdom like that's what's interesting what is it that separates us from the animal kingdom because it is interesting to notice all of the things that we that we say is like kind of like a human not a human attribute but because it becomes unhuman once you recognize it like in the chimp family you know what i mean but it's like <laughs> so conundrum. Yeah. yeah so but what's there afterwards you know you're like oh well chimps go to war now we can so we'll look at like chimp groups and we'll like try to extrapolate ideas about what that means that we do that and they do that and how that happens in chimp groups because in a sense i think what we do is we observe it and it's so much more simplified in the chimp in the case of the chimp for example or like i was saying in the case of the chickens you know you can like just observe them for long enough and go oh, okay look at all these little they've got these couple like almost like words they use and mannerisms and oh you know it seems like here's the explanation for that like the more scarce food is the more violent the chip, chimps are between tri tribes or the the bigger the population you know all these oh this oh can we oh that maybe that happens with people the bigger the population of a certain nation gets and we start like extrapolating and trying to understand it and maybe that's useful maybe it's not i don't know but maybe the difference is we actually do that analysis and they never will yeah you know so you know what i'm saying yeah. like i don't i don't really know i just think that the more interesting thing is that's what i was saying about the joe rogan quote it's like oh we're like apes with nuclear power and internet it's like ah but that's exactly how we're not like apes isn't that interesting yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't there's something yeah. deeper to it. I'm sure there's people that have thought about this much harder than I have, but <laughs> No, there's something there. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a big difference between us and chimps. I think, yeah, on some basic level there's something we'll never get away from. Like there's some fundamental, like core aspects of being an animal, a living thing, maybe. Um but yeah, there it would be like if you looked at like a giraffe and like we were like comparing giraffes to chimps and being like, giraffes are like chimps with long necks, you know? <laughs> like it would just be like, what the fuck are you saying? You know? It's like, I mean, sure, but it's as if the giraffe is not its own thing. You're like, it's kind of like what we were talking about with the plants, you know, and the soil. You're like, because everything comes from the soil, everything is the same and it's all deterministic and it can all be traced back to whatever the soil is. And it's like, well, no, every plant is like its own unique entity and like has its own unique character that can't be explained fully by just looking at the soil. And in the same way, it's like all the different animals and organisms, their unique character can't be explained by just looking back at like our, you know, genetic origins, perhaps, or our, you know, shared ancestor. I think that's totally bogus. It's like, so then how do you explain how anything differentiated into its own character if it's all just from the same material? You know, it's like you still don't have you need like a gestalt, you know, you need some sort of theory that explains how does the extra difference arise then? Like what 
what causes that? You know, where does it come from and how do we explain it? Because you can't just explain it by looking at the commonalities. Well, in one of my philosophy courses, I have this professor ask this question that nobody except for me thought was interesting. And I think I've mentioned this before. <laughs> and the question was, like, basically, what's the difference between a zebra and a horse? So there's this thing called a zorse or a zebroid or zebrula or a zebrul or hebra, horsebra, zebrini. Anyways, there's lots of names for these things. <laughs> but is a zebra a horse with stripes that's a black and white horse? Classification of animals is a big deal and it changes all the time. It kind of like made me scratch my head because I was like, that yes. could be very... Well, this is a problem. I mean, I think people like this evolutionary thinking, it's like, yes, it is useful as a model of the world to some extent, but it does not explain everything. Like what you're saying, like we could say that maybe the zebra and the horse share some ancestor at one point, but it doesn't help us explain like, what is the zebra? You know, like what? How did zebra arise? How did horse arise? Why are these things distinct? And what makes them distinct? And, you know, just to point out, like, there are differences, like, because, you know, part of the species classification is, like, they can mate with each other and produce fertile offspring. So, you know, zebras and horses can mate with each other, but the offspring isn't fertile. So that's that one true? thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because otherwise they'd be the same species. It is sterile, yes. Yeah, it's like the the donkey and the But that's weird too. Middle. Like what the fuck though? Right. And so yeah, you could say like well that's evidence of some shared, you know, ancestry in not too long history or not too long ago history. But then it doesn't help you explain like well how did each one get like this and why don't they can't they make fertile offspring anymore? Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, evolution like helps you describe the process, I think, but it doesn't help you explain the differences that arise. Evolution just doesn't make sense. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. It's it doesn't make sense. The fact that it all relies on mutation and replication of mutations that arise in a single—I mean, that just—that's preposterous, pr completely preposterous. It well, doesn't make sense mathematically. Like it, can't, how you know what I mean? Like it just—it would take. I mean, I guess that's why they're like, well, it just takes gazillions of years. It's like, yeah, okay, give me infinity and I can produce anything. That's the theory. It's just like Russell Brand said, give me one miracle, we'll explain the rest. Yeah. No, there's something that seems missing from it. I was having some thoughts recently that I can't quite remember, but it's as if we're talking about things in a way that like, we really understand what's going on. Like we are really keen observers and that we can trust our perceptions as like, this is the facts. Like how do you remove yourself from your observations? And how do you not, how do you know that like what you're not producing is like a theory of human cognition really? There's just some kind of like notion I think that people have that's, we are objectively studying the outside world and these are the facts. And it's like, I don't know, like it's really hard to figure out if that's what we're doing or if what we're doing is like coming up with theories about our own cognition and then projecting them onto the world. Which is funny because science, you know, as a noun apparently is so 
I guess the word would be like hubristic or something. Like <laughs> they like we're trying to figure out what are we? It's never posed, but it's like that's what's going on. Like that's the real question. Like there used to be this theory of something called and it's changed throughout time, but like the Elan Vital. That's what I thought you were going to say about the Joe Rogan thing that was interesting, because he did also say that on some recent episode where he was like talking about aliens and and like I think this is like someone shared this story is like actually met an alien and the alien like communicate with them telepathically. And what they said was like the alien felt sorry for the human, like the alien didn't was like, oh, you don't understand who you are. Which, like, regardless of whether or not that literally happened, I feel like that's, like, hitting the nail right on the head of, like, what's going on with human psychology. It's like, we really just fundamentally don't know who we are, and so we're doing all sorts of crazy nonsense. Yeah, we're trying to... we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We're trying to, like, formulate an experience, understand the experience, give meaning to the experience. And it gives rise to people like Jordan Peterson, who take, like, a pseudo academic religious approach or and that's common for people to recognize that the fall that being you know falling away is creating like all sorts of other ideologies that have like this religious flavor to them like the green movement global warming bullshit or the trans ideology stuff it's like it's like religious in a, in a sense you know like it's it's it gives something of that ilk to those people they're like a proselytize and evangelize and moralize over it you know like it's and we do it too but kind of in like the atheistic sense you know as as to use the continue with the analogy you know stop these religious fanatics are you know which no longer religious fanatics it's like these scientology or not actually scientology but they might as well be <laughs> these like <laughs> scientologists these scientists the scientistic or uh, whatever, you know, all those things I just mentioned. Like, Yeah. No, people are fanatical. Yeah, and they have the strong conviction to a set of ideas, which is yes, the convictions. weirdest part to me. Yeah, and I, it's so interesting. There's something there that I can't quite put my finger on, but there's something about, so there's like a convergence of a few different topics to me, where it's like, we've got language, like in this sort of postmodernist, like, all meaning is semantic, meaning like if I just say or change the language, like that actually reshapes the world or whatever. Like there's no deeper meaning. And so I think you see that sort of in like our, you know, these movements or whatever, where it's like these people get very idealistic or not idealistic, maybe, but um, like very hardcore about these ideologies where they're like, this, you know, this is what I say. And because I say it, it is this way and nothing can deviate, you know, like the trans thing, like with some extremists who are like, I'm a woman because I say I am. And it's like, just because I use the language, like that reshapes reality because I use the word woman to describe myself. I am a woman. And I think, so you see that. And then I also think you see this like AI technology and there's like some weird convergence here with like, like that's really all, the AI we have today is, is like language. And it's so interesting that people are calling it artificial intelligence because it's like, it doesn't know anything. It's like weird that we are like this language system, like literally like these large language models, like we're like, that is intelligence. And it's like, is intelligence well, what, just language? Well, what's funny is like people want to supposedly really smart people they're not smart. They're just religious. 
but in the AI field, even, you know, like scientists, they're like, no, these things, some people say no, but some people say these things are becoming sentient or they're, and it's like, okay, right. question, question scientists who believes that AI is sentient and that that would matter. Uh, do you ever eat chicken? Do you eat fish? Do you eat any, do you eat hamburgers? Like, right. W- what does that mean to you that something is sentient? And if you are eating chicken and moralizing about the sentience of a freaking computer, then you're not to be trusted. Like that is so stupid. Like it's so incoherent to moralize about one and never consider the other. It's at least inconsistent. Yeah. Completely inconsistent. So it's like you're claiming that these things are sentient and that that shouldn't matter at all. But instead, mostly you're worried about the sentience and it's, relevance to mankind and whether or not these things should have rights and we should give them control of certain things. It's like, hello, like, what are you talking about? You don't know if, even if it is sentient, you don't know anything about the type of sentience, sentience that it has. And it may be sub, like sub cockroach sentience as far as what you think that means. Because when we talk, when people want to moralize about sentience, what they're feeling is a feeling. What they're thinking is the experience of consciousness, which is this rich, dynamic, unbelievably powerful, vital essence, the Elan Vital, that is like so inescapably palpable that apparently scientists can forget that it exists and then start moralizing about the feelings of computers. Yeah. Which is literally stupid. Like, literally stupid. Like, it's literally stupid. I don't even know what else to say. Well, that but it just my, doesn't make sense. Yeah, point about, like, the convergence. It's almost like this is, like, the most postmodern technology we've ever made or whatever. Like, I think Jordan Peterson was saying something like, I can't remember, he was describing something like that. But just the idea, because the postmodernists were like, the language has created all these differences. Like, essentially, like, masculine and feminine differences were created by language. It's like a hypothesis put forth by some postmodernist philosophers. And I'm like, it's so interesting to think about, like, the AI. Like, all it's doing, like, it doesn't understand meaning. You know, all it understands, it's like one large correlation matrix or co-occurrence matrix where it's like these words sit next to these words typically you know and it's like a network and it's like this word is most often you know linked to this word which is most often linked to this word and it can do it on the level of letters and words and phrases and so what it's doing is sort of probabilistically you know saying what should be the next word or the letter in this you know output or whatever given some input but that doesn't mean it knows it doesn't have any meaning. Like it doesn't know what any of those words mean. Doesn't know what the phrases mean. Doesn't know what the sentences mean. And it surely but doesn't even know if it, but what it, the this paragraphs gets, mean. This gets really tedious. Trust me, I'm a philosopher. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, because well, I used to write these papers for the, that class, that AI class, philosophy class. Like, I remember that class more than any other class, and. It will break your mind because we were supposed to be ignoring consciousness. So she wrote three things on the board on the first day of class. And let me just tell you, I forgot two of them. The only one I remember is the one she drew a big 
read X over, which was consciousness. The opposite and of what like, she wanted you to do. <laughs> I was like, how are we going? So I I would always try to f- sneak it in to everything and, and point out the fact that ignoring that is the big problem when, we, mm. when it comes to AI. Because what people are obsessed with, the foundations of artificial intelligence come from Alan Turing. He's got a whole backstory. Who cares? Sure, he was interesting. Probably a little autistic. Too many vaccines. But what he decided was there was this... If Basically, the very simple premise of the Turing test, and it's not that simple, but it's simple enough that that you could take this and run with it, but don't tell it to anyone who's into philosophy or computers because they'll be like, that's not quite right. But basically, if a computer can fool you into think and can fool you into thinking that it's a human, then that means that it's reached, it's obtained intelligence, you know, of some kind. Right. right. And I, I've, from the time I heard that, I thought, that's not true. That doesn't mean anything. Well, this is what I was saying a second ago. It's like we can't get to like an objective reality beyond our perceptions, which is like it's like it would be indistinguishable perception wise to us whether or not that's intelligent versus something else. But it's like you were saying that doesn't mean it it, is intelligence. Well, you were saying that the computer doesn't know, understand or doesn't have doesn't have meaning. And that's possible. But you, you really do, unfortunately, have to ask the question, what is meaning? Like, what does it mean if something yeah. means something? Because, God, that's a fucked up sentence. But and it's very, it's 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 like the exact reason that people roll their eyes at philosophy. But this these edge cases are where they become super important. And the fact that we struggle so hard against fundamentals like that, it's like knowing about your own death. In your mortality, you just kind of have to ignore that. Otherwise, you'll panic all the time. You just have to go, oh, yeah. you know what? I don't I don't know what meaning is. So we'll set that aside. Or like my AI class. Okay, consciousness is a different question. Let's set that aside. And now let's see if we can come up with an artificial general intelligence, which has the definition of having human-like intelligence. It's like, But you j- literally just X'd out the human thing. You literally said, we're right. not going to pay attention to the thing that that we're really all so concerned about. Which is so interesting because that's like what people do with the artificial thing. It's like they look at the AI and they'll be like, you know, I think people are like, oh, you know, it's like a reason to simplify our own intelligence. We're like, look at how capable it is. Like, we must be more simple than we thought. And I'm like, but again, it's what it's but again, so it becomes between. So we're going to do this and this is what's going to happen. And it's we're not going to answer any questions because we're going to create something. We're going to create a chimp, okay? So chimps exist. We might as well have created them. And then we can observe them and make all the fucking connections between us and them that we want. Now we're going to do that with a new entity. It's going to be called artificial intelligence. It's an entity because we said so. And we're going to look at all the different ways in which the entity is similar to us. And the Mm. question, and it's going to get very deep for five minutes. (laughs) And we're going to do the same thing that we always do. And we're going to come against, come up right up against the fundamental, difficult, hard, the literally what. what the great philosopher Daniel Chalmers calls the hard question of consciousness. And this is the best term that anyone's ever come up with for consciousness. And go read his papers about the hard question of consciousness. It, he is a very, very interesting philosopher from Australia. And he points out, and I wrote a paper and I read some of that paper, and it was really based on his philosophy when I wrote that that final 
opus of mine for that AI class. And I had to meet with the professor like four times. I was like, I cannot do this. Like, it is going to kill me. I do not know how to write this paper, but I know that what I'm saying is true in some way. But what happens is you end what that's why it's got the simple word, the simple name. It's the hard question of consciousness because why? Because it's fucking hard. Well, and the question is, it asks why and how humans have phenomenological experiences or qualia. That's the basic Why have an experience at all? Yes. So he he comes up with this term, philosophical zombies. And it's essentially a clone of you that doesn't have consciousness. And, and people discredit it because, well, you're just saying that because it's a perceivable, because I can kind of perceive of that in a sense, that that makes it a good argument or a possibility. But that is a mistake. That's, so that's a very Dan Dennett argument. Oh, you're just making a mistake, you fool. You're not smart. I'm Dan Dennett. I love Dan Dennett too, but he's a douchebag kind of but he just he's just a very dismissive and he's so read oh my god i'm getting geeking out right now but you're really you geeking out on the philosophy read, i love it i listen, i'm gonna go back to school no go read <laughs> uh chalmers and then read a bunch of dan Dennett. read them arguing with each other through their papers it's fantastic because dan Dennett is a genius and so is chalmers and so is Nagel. These guys are all geniuses, and none of them agree. Hmm. Maybe Nagel and Chalmers, maybe. But Dennett is probably smarter than both of them, in a way. And he can write like you've never... Like, it's so good. He's a master. Well, to your point, like you were saying, I wrote this paper, and like I couldn't quite explain it, but I knew there was something true about it. That is kind of like what I was saying, you know, going back to the AI thing and language and... You know, well, like I was going to ask you a question about that. reality. Okay, go to ahead. To pull yeah. this out. So do you know what a preposition is in language? I know. See, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I know like right. what they are. Like I could name them, but I don't. If you tried to get me to explain like what is a preposition, like the concept, I probably would fail. It's difficult. Like even t- so like there's big words that I know. And then sometimes someone will be like, what does that mean? I'll be like. I don't know. I have to look it up, but I know I said it right. Like, I know I used it properly. I just don't know. It's the word. It's the, like, I only know it as that word, but I'm sure there's simpler words to describe that word. And then you can look it up, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like that Mm -hmm. happens where you're like, I can't, I literally can't give you the definition, but I could say it in 20 different sentences and have it be the exact word I mean every time and no other word fix, you know, works. Yeah. There's that. So an AI language model perhaps since you have no idea understands as well as you do the meaning Mm. of a preposition prepositions go between words like this and this so like i can the classic example from like middle school or elementary school is anything that a plane can do to a cloud so a plane can fly through a cloud to the cloud on a cloud under the cloud within the cloud throughout the cloud all of those words are prepositions. It's not exactly something that something can do to another thing, but it's something that something can do to another thing in relation to it. You know? And I think it's possible that in a sense, in a way, artificial intelligence language models, especially if they have uh, computer learning, whatever that term that machine people use learning. for that now, machine learning, if it has a... a connectionist model or some kind of machine learning model embedded into it, it can figure things out. 
it can figure out sentence structure. One of them recently taught itself a weird kind of obscure language. And it's like, that's yes. impressive. It demonstrates some level of understanding. It, it demonstrates that it has the ability to learn how things that pre-exist it go together. And there's even stories of like AI that started communicating with other AI in a language that the scientists couldn't or that the engineers and whatnot could not understand. So they, they just shut it off because it kind of freaked them out. But they were doing this communication. <laughs> and so it's clear that this is what I'm saying. So we're creating an entity. And what we're going to do is we're going to go, oh, my God, it's so much like us. It's fooling me. I think I'm talking to a human, but I'm talking to a robot. It, In fact, it's smarter than me at a lot of things. It has its brain kind of basic brain. And maybe this is just we're creating we're, it's coming to it's coming to this particular form because we can't help but make exactly what we are because we can't perceive of something that isn't like what we are like and we wouldn't even if we did make it it wouldn't be impressive to us because we wouldn't under, understand it it has to be like us mm, so its yeah. mind is the data set that it has access to whether it's the internet text files academic journals chess moves tic-tac-toe options whatever that's its mind and then it has this decision-making capacity because it's been given the ability to rifle through those and then even learn like, okay, well, this is a really good chess move, but every time I do it, apparently I get defeated because it's obvious to a human what I'm setting up for. So I have to set up for a, I can, the computer will literally learn to trick you into thinking that it's doing this or doing that. They can teach computers to bluff in poker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, So, mm All of that, and it doesn't have to teach it to do that. It can teach itself that because it has a goal in mind. The goal in mind is win the chess game, win the poker game. And then those actually get so good that they then have to tell those machines, don't win every time. I'm pretty sure that they can make those machines so good that they're no fun to play against because they can win every single time, which is the topic of Gary Kasparov's book, deep thinking he was the world chess champion that eventually was defeated by a chess chess machine and it actually took he could beat it before it really learned you know before it really got good it got really good and he could still was like one of the only guys that could actually get around this thing until it beat him and he never won again once it figured it out it never lost again basically and that's one of these fears that like people like sam harris or gary kasparov have is that if we, so what are they doing? They're completely going, okay, set aside all of those fundamental questions. Anyways, now, once we get to a place where we have, cre- we're just assuming we're going to create it. It appears that we are going to, we've done the chess thing. We've done this. Once we have an amalgamation of skills, language, chess playing, this, that, the other, give it a body, let it, you know, what then separates us? My question is what really then separates us from those machines? And maybe we have to ask those questions that are super annoying. What does meaning mean? Like, what is meaning? Is meaning understanding? Is meaning the ability to use something that like a like a preposition or to know when a preposition is it maybe to make up a new preposition that kind of describes something we've never that could be done but we've never actually done before you know yeah instead of throughout it's like through in like maybe that means something and we just don't know what it means yet because we haven't had a you know maybe a computer could come up with that and it could tell us what does through in mean instead of throughout you know and but along all this 
we're just plowing past all the important questions. And the reason they're important is because we're going to make decisions and create things and institute policies and, and interactions and social norms related to our great, fantastical scientific experiments that we've created and all this knowledge that we've gained when, cause they can do amazing things, but you don't understand any of the fundamentals. And so that's why it matters that we do those hard questions. We do the philosophy. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to be making decisions that govern your life um, in small and large ways. People want to put them yeah. in as like judges in courts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it definitely is, is important. And yeah, I was thinking the other thing is like back to the language component is like language is a structure and it's almost like language is a structure that you play within because not everything that you think can even be expressed in language, one, but then two, like language limits like the expressibility of your ideas that you have to communicate and things. And so I think almost like whatever is going on with the AI, it is not having that experience. Like the AI is not being limited. Like the AI doesn't have something beyond the language that is being communicated through the language. Like for the AI, this is what I was trying to get at. It's like the language is all there is. Like it is the ultimate postmodernist. Like there is no reality beyond the language, which is like weird. That's what I was trying to weave the threads. It's like that is a weird philosophy that I think has like gripped our culture is that like, there isn't anything beyond the language and like the structure of language is the structure of reality. And I just don't think that that's true. Like I think language is a useful structure, but there's all sorts of things that you can never possibly hope to communicate. Like what is love, you know, like what, or God, you know, like fill a whole book, fill the Bible with words about it. You know, like you don't know what that is, but you know something you're trying to write it down and the AI has access to the Bible, but does the AI understand what God is? Of course not. Like, I just, yeah, I feel like there's something a, there. To me, it seems like a very, and people are pointing out this term, but I don't think the term as it's understood is quite right, but it is like a form of, a very nuanced form, I should say, of nihilism. Where yes, yeah. The way that it's like nihilism is that nothing, none of that stuff matters. So like Dan Dennett's take, when I read a lot of like Dan Dennett stuff, especially with regarding consciousness and whatnot. It's kind of like he would probably say he's not saying this, but you can't, if you disagree with him, you can't help but feel like that's kind of what he's saying is like, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's, that doesn't really, it's not really what you think it is. Like it doesn't, so it doesn't really matter so much because you, you, you're giving it a lot of weight because you, you're like misunderstanding what it really is. Hmm. especially like experience. Remember we didn't, did we publish the help? No, I don't think we did the robo Mary and all that stuff. It's like his whole theory is that like, if you've never seen color before, cause there's that question of like color and your experience of it. Like we know what it is and we can actually describe it very scientifically in our perception of it, even pretty scientifically. But it's like, does red, does like this hue of rich, rich red, does it make you feel something? And it really, really does when you see it in the sky, you know, like when the sky is like purple, you're like, damn, like that's wild, you know? And then Dan Dennett would say, well, yeah, but you, like if you knew everything about color, there's this argument, if you knew everything about color and ex color experience and all that, 
when you saw, even if you knew it all, but you never see, you've never seen it before, the day you do see it, you'll kind of, quote unquote, learn something new. Like there's this kind of information out there to know that you can't really describe. Like it's almost like experiential. It's phenomenal. Phenomen- phenomenological qualia, as they call it. Like or epiphenomenal qualia. Epiphenomenal qualia. Like it's it's yeah, outside yeah. of you know, and so Oh my god, here you go again with the epiphenomenal qualia. <laughs> Dan Den but Dan Dennett just says, No, you're wrong. No, actually, theoretically, you could not have that experience and you could still basically basically you would have no surprise when you finally did get to see the sunset or the the purple sky he's like you just wouldn't be surprised so you're just wrong and that's like a nihilism to me it's like okay okay do you not understand what people are doing here dan people are going i look at the nights i look at the dawn the sky and it's purple and i'm moved okay and they're like, that seems really amazing and important and human. And I'm trying to separate this quality of a human experience that's so different and amazing. And Dan's like, well, you just don't get it. You know? Yeah. You're just giving, you're giving it some extra crap. Ah. So it's like, he can think deeply about it, but he's like, meh, doesn't matter. You're wrong. Well, I think, yeah, a couple of things. One, it's like, back to your class, it's like you're trying to dismiss something. You're trying to like systematically exclude that kind of experience from your theory which is like the moving part of it it's like well how do you explain that and he's like well because i can't think about that well then that needs to be excluded from the model and it's like okay well that's just weird and dumb um and means that your model doesn't explain everything where's the what's the missing link is the question because he is right like so he is a good example he's like well what if you were shocked by lightning before you ever saw the sky purple I'm really messing up the argument, but it doesn't matter. The specifics don't matter. Like, what if you were shocked by lightning and for some reason it puts your brain into the exact state of, like, exact physical state of someone who's seeing a purple sky? Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. You had the experience and you never saw it, so there's nothing out there. It could just be done internally. It's all physical. It's all completely physical, and that, to me, somehow erases some kind of... But if it doesn't erase meaning, it still begs the question of Chalmers. Well, well the hard question then is why there? Why is there an experience? Yeah. Well, to me, it sounds like music. You know, like because when you study music, and some people talk about this, like I studied music in college and whatnot, and you can get really far into music where you start to like see through. To someone who doesn't understand it, it's just like an experience. You start to see the equations. Yes, you start to see all the equations. Mm-hmm. And you see like, oh, this is what, you know, that's a fifth or that's an octave or this is a minor third to a major fourth, you know, like whatever yeah. it or is. Or I, you know? I can make you feel this way if I just play this progression. Yes. And so like, I this think is a you, happy sound. This is a dark sound. You start seeing the structure of music as you may start seeing the structure of reality like Dan Dennett. Um, but that doesn't mean that your experience of music goes away. Like, I still think you could know as much as there is to know about music and music theory. And if you heard a great symphony played fantastically, it would still move you. And so it's like, there's still some element of it that's not explainable by knowing the mechanics of it. You know, it's like, you could have even heard that symphony before, played exactly like it was played. But something about it is like, there's something else there going on that doesn't quite get captured in all the theory and all the thinking and all the reckoning about it. And then along the same lines, though, that confu- complicates oh the matter God. is, have you heard <laughs> Another of, twist. Have you heard of that, uh, 
I don't know where I saw this, but they they it was like a documentary or something. They played this like traditional music at like a Chinese or something Chinese Japanese some Asian very Asian you know like the dragon like that kind of parade you know very like classic Asian New Year thing. or something 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 like that like a big thing so it'd be very traditional you know uh, music and what they were saying was they played it and you're and they said so to like an American this song sounds sad or scary or something but to them it actually had a different to them it was like a very happy sounding song or something like that you know it's just the perception of this of the song was just completely different mm, and it yes. was only yeah. it was only instrumental so you, there was no lyrics to decipher you know that wouldn't have helped it was just the sound and that the sound to them gave one feeling and it gave almost the opposite feeling to another group of people so there's that just again it complicates things once again <laughs> Especially and, for Dan Dennett, yeah, because yeah, what the hell is that? How can you have different? If you're like, it's well, all he would just say, how could you experience the same physical stuff? And it's an accumulation through a lifetime of physical information that you eventually culminates into that experience at that point in time, which is logical. I can't help. God, he's I hate hard. It. He's I hate so it. hard to argue with. It's like uh, the brothers. Is it the brothers Karamazov or whatever? Where it's like. There's Ivan and there's Alyosha, and Ivan is like Dan Dennett, like how you're describing him. Ivan is like a brutal rationalist who like can explain everything, and Alyosha is like, you know, a little bit more spiritual, but you know, concedes almost to his brother that like, oh, you can make better arguments. I can't explain all of this to you. You're right, you know. Mm. But then through reading the novel as like an observer, you know, though, you know in your heart that. Alyosha is like the morally righteous person like mm. and he is truly right like whatever the ultimate truth is is not whatever Dan Dennett is espousing I mean it just you just hear it and you think there's no life there it's like almost dead and it's like as if you're trying to kill God that's the kind of feeling I get when I hear stuff like that I'm like God, there's no wonder in you like it's as if you want to be God you want to destroy him you want to dismantle reality that's how I feel benefit. when I read. That's how I feel when I read Dennett. Like you're trying to, to take something away, and I can argue with it, but it's like it at a certain point it does kind of feel like fruitless because it's it becomes like well, some people are just gonna believe that you know like I I don't know I just I like are you happy I guess I don't know like congratulations on your weird meaning meaningful nihilism yeah no they're like the kind of people that you find and they're like and in the quark field of the ion particle there's a slight perception and if you calculate the mass times the gravitational pull and that explains why we're all having feelings it's like dear god i just want to die hearing that yeah you should. Uh, it's made you depressed. No, the famous book recommendation section of the podcast. Um, oh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> from bacteria. Because just think, the title here is just it says it all. From what we, this conversation, from bacteria to Bach and back, the evolution of minds. Wow. So he thinks he's explained it. Uh, is the that whole, the Dan Dennett book? That's Dan Dennett, and it's a great book. And if you're writing papers in philosophy. Go for it. 
read this book because it'll give you lots of cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah, it's wacko. I and I don't want to dismiss it like completely. Like it's not like it's a useless enterprise to think about these things and these people are just you know bad or whatever. Or this is a bad thing to do. But I just think yeah, it's not it's not the end of the story. And I think when it's elevated to the position of like God or whatever, it's like, this is the ultimate explanation. This is the ultimate truth. I just like, even practically, like what does that do for you? You know, like where do you go from there? Well, he, he does admit like in his introduction, he says, I consider this book to be among other things, my grateful attempt to pay my tuition for all that instruction this is what I think I've learned. A lot of it is still very conjectural, philosophical, out on a limb. I claim that it is a sketch, the backbone of the best scientific theory to date of how our minds came into existence, how our brains work with all their wonders, and especially how to think about minds and brains without falling into alluring philosophical traps. That is a controversial claim, of course, and I'm eagerly looking forward to engaging with the reactions of both scientists and philosophers and the amateurs who often have the most perceptive comments of all. So he's like, there's like a part of him that is a decent person. That was a nice opening, yeah. It's just how he thinks. That's a a middle thing. But there's other papers that I've read by him that literally start with, I thought when I wrote my other paper that I had put this to rest, but here I go again. Like, oh literally, we'll start papers like that. And I'm like, dude. For all up, you idiots up. out there. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. But. Oh, my God. No, that's what I was it's, saying it's, earlier. It's, it's like, I think kind of like the part about, you know, philosophical coherence or whatever. I'm like, I think partly all you're saying is that it has like linguistic co- coherence, that it adheres to the structure of language, like arguments and like whatever the structure of language is like, I don't even know that we could say what it is, but we recognize it when we hear it. But that doesn't mean that it's ultimately true because you can hear arguments from all sorts of vantage points, arguing for all sorts of different conflicting views and be easily swayed by them and then all be logically consistent. You know, so it's like- Maybe that's the link between like a Jordan Peterson who claims that like, basically thinking is speaking or speaking is thinking and has this totally Mm. different view philosophically than like someone like Dan Dennett. But Dan Dennett's participating in that linguistic thought formation. So it is a challenging topic and it's language itself is like, there's so many like branching things to discuss that you could just kind of go on forever because there's even like neuro-linguistic programming (laughs) Yeah, it really will. It literally will get you to that point where you're like, and I know nothing now. I never mind. Never mind all of those questions. And it you it makes sense of why people do that. And they go, uh, let's cross consciousness off the list. Let's not discuss that. We've been stuck on that for 4,000 years. So <laughs> it's probably time to set that aside for a moment and let's focus on the fact that never despite the fact we have made almost no progress in our understanding of that we have made artificial <laughs> language learning models so clearly some of this has nothing to do with some of that and then there's just going to be those people out there on the fringe like myself who are going to be like can we yeah. keep thinking about those things can we keep and i don't know what it does for me Well, it is like, I mean, you can create the AI thing 
like we may be able to create something that's really intelligent and whatnot, and it may be amazing, but that doesn't mean we're going to understand it anymore, which is almost like, I don't know, because Jordan Peterson said that he was like, we may make this thing and, you know, we're not going to understand it. And that's really interesting. And I was like, it is interesting, but it's not just interesting about chat GPT or AI. It's like, it's interesting about anything that humans do. Like, we don't understand how we're doing anything like we don't even know if you really start thinking about it you're like how did we do that we're like we age because the length of our telomeres get shorter it's like congratulations we're not living any longer than we did 2000 years ago (laughs) you know like you don't so that's that like fundamental thing and i actually find solace in that unanswered question because it's like it it almost like makes it okay to not know when you recognize there's like look there's all these scientific, biological, electrochemical explanations for why does the heart keep beating? And why does the why do your lungs breathe in the air and out the air involuntarily for every living, at least mammal? You know, like how and what is it? What is like what's the battery that keeps that going? Because it's it's not simply energy it's not simply like converting food into energy that allows for the Mm. atp i mean that's those are all observable and those things happen but if for some reason it doesn't seem adequate as an explanation i mean it's not that it doesn't seem adequate it just actually isn't adequate because it's like that single miracle that's needed because why would any of that why would okay dan's answering why do how did minds emerge (laughs) how did anything emerge dan you know, like how did anything actually come into existence? And there's another book that called you would love this book. Oh my god! It's called the Ego Tunnel. Oh, that sounds like something it's by. I like. Oh yeah, you should read. This. I love by ego. Tom- I'm all ego. <laughs> it's by it's by Thomas Metzinger, very intelligent guy. Oh, I think and I've heard of him. Yeah, he's great, but. I'm pretty sure this book starts like it's like the first sentence. It does that same thing. Let us first start by dismissing this miraculous phenomenon and let's dive in. It's like, what what the fuck are you talking about? We're like, let's Uh... take off the life jacket and dive into the water and just see how that goes. But it's kind of like, let me see if he's, let me just see if it is the first sentence. There's something interesting here too, where talking about it in that way it's like oh just give us one miracle and then thinking about like religion and like you could think about jesus as an archetype that's what young was kind of interested in it's like there's actually a jesus-like character in a lot of religions and a jesus-like spirit whatever you want to say story um and then you can sort of say like it's interesting because like jesus performed miracles and it's like jesus is some embodiment of some like underlying reality and it is kind of like maybe you could just almost like directly interpret that as like there's some underlying reality that's performing what appear to be miracles to you, like mortal human. Yeah. Well, let's see. It's, I don't find I haven't found the uh, quote, but this is his introduction, introductory sentence. In this book, I will try to convince you that there is no such thing as the self. Contrary to what most people believe, nobody has ever been or had a self. All right. There it is. Start from there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the self, that stuff is so fascinating, too, because you get caught up in word soup 
like what is the self it's interesting how these things enter pop culture too like we that word is like common now like just to talk about the self it wasn't always like that like we didn't always have the word self and people weren't always talking about themselves and their self Um, but we don't we understand just enough to be extremely dangerous so like there's that experiment which thomas messinger looks at in his book where you take a rubber hand oh yes you know and you divide your vision and you obscure your real hand but you begin to perceive that rubber hand as your hand and people can touch it and you will feel the sensation of whatever's occurring to a hand that is not connected to you yeah something like so that they smash brings, it with a hammer and you people jump and whatnot people jump scream. but you can touch it and be like oh my god i feel your hand i can feel you like I have an itch there now. I have to like rub. I oh have the God. sensation on my hand. So it's like, what does that actually mean about the embodied self? So that's where Thomas Metzinger's kind of th- starts thinking about it. Like, hey, whatever you think yourself is, something else might be going on because I can make you think that your a rubber hand is you. And I can make you think it's so, (laughs) yeah, I can make you think it's so hard that you actually experience that hand. And they have these really high tech, like, art, um, uh, what do they call that? Virtual reality experience experiments. Mm. And it's very, very difficult for them to maintain this for very long. But what they, they go through a series of events in this virtual reality where they do that rubber hand experiment to your whole entire body and so you actually start perceiving yourself as a different entity in the virtual reality and you become that entity even though you you know what i'm saying like it's difficult to explain i think i did they can literally this yeah there's like and they can only do it for a few i think it only can last for like seconds or minutes or something you know it's very difficult to maintain but they can actually do that and give you the experience of literally being something else that's generated and you are present there as well, your actual corporeal form, but you no longer associate with it, which is totally confusing. Yeah. And does bring into question what is going on with the mind and perception and who and what we actually are. He probably takes it, I don't remember. I need to read the book again, but he probably takes it to there's no you or whatever, like he says. Sure. But to me, I'm thinking that could be indicative of something way more woo-woo and less scientific in the fact that there's actually some consciousness, that thing that's experiencing stuff. Maybe it isn't in the body. And maybe that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Maybe that means that your body is more like a vessel right? right. in a weird way exactly. for some perception. And whatever thing is that's perceiving is using a bunch of like hacks, like mnemonics almost. So like people th- kind of have the sensation, like when you think of like where you're at in your body, you don't really feel like it's at the, in your, the palm of your hand. You kind of feel like it's in your face a little bit you know like mm-hmm. if you think about mm-hmm. it like where am i like i'm like kind of like this is me like i'm behind my eyes a little bit and like in my face but why would you have that feeling well if you think your consciousness is almost ethereal 
perhaps, because we can do weird things with it that make it seem very ethereal, like separate it from your entire body. So whatever that is, like you were talking about with near-death experiences, maybe that's similar. You know, but because you can do that, I don't know, like that, the fact that you feel like you're behind your face may just be like a hack for whatever consciousness is doing with the human form. Yeah. But we're not really human forms. Ultimately, we're something else, which could be why we're so perplexed by our experience because if you think about like a a dog even a cat like people if you have a cat like i'll sit a cat will be on the couch sometimes and i'll sit there and like sit on my cat almost just thinking it will move and then it just won't you know or the dog will like all of a sudden be surprised by its hand for like 10 seconds like you know to like bite its own hands like oh wait i don't know like it doesn't Maybe that's not. I my point is, I wonder if that's actually happening with oh animals. Oh my god! You know that's what I'm so saying? Interesting. Like, do, yeah. Like maybe animals actually having an out of body experience, <laughs> or in a very they're in such a different state of consciousness that's not, like we are so connected to our bodies. Like a headache incapacitates people, or a stuffy nose, or an aching stomach. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a dog. My dog will hit its head or like that deer I was telling you about is a better example. It was walking around grazing. It was just grazing grass like any other day, but its knee was bending the the wrong way. Like that could not have felt good, but it was just like doing deer things anyways. Mm, maybe you know, animals like are having something... out-of-body experiences all the time. And we are just weirdly having in-body experiences most of the time. And the reality is, yeah. Like hyper else. self, like is what we have, like a hyper ego or something. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I was going to say the boring explanation is like maybe just, you know, it's evidence those experiments of uh, the primary function of the visual system, like it can override your other sensory inputs like touch and smell and taste and whatnot. Like if you see the hammer hitting your hand, regardless, you didn't feel it, you know, like your visual system is almost overriding your other sensory, Mm -hmm. you know, input sense, uh, whatever senses. And uh, yeah, that's interesting because that is interesting because we can way easily, much easier to manipulate the visual system than it is like your what is it the palpatory perceptions like your like the feeling of pain or the feeling of sensation mm. bodily, like yeah. we don't that's much more difficult to figure out how to get to the fundamental of that, but we could actually trigger that through your eyes. That's right. weird. Yeah. No, it is weird. And that's how they do a lot of those experiments is like, it's so caught up with like what you can see. And then there's something weird about like your processing too. They've measured like there's some sort of delay in processing where you, between like when you experience or feel something and when it happens or whatever. Um, like I want to say it's like not what you think. Like it's actually that you you experience it before it happens, like slightly before things happen. And I don't know, there's like some crazy neuroscientist people working Predictive on this. Predictive stuff. Yeah. Well, it's like that experiment where people, so the people that agree that that long line is actually short, like the other lines, when it's clearly not, they, I think, isn't the conclusion that they literally actually begin to perceive that that line, oh no, that line, you're right, everybody, that is the same size. Like they can have a perceptual. Oh, maybe I don't know. Sensation that goes that. along with it. So if that's, true, I'm sure you then could. That means though. that, right? So you have like linguistic overriding of your visual system. 
Like right. maybe there's a hierarchy to systems of perception. No, I totally think there is. And there's something, I mean, the metaphor of the eye is like so deeply embedded in our spiritual traditions, like in mythologies. It's like something about, because there's like the eyes and then there's like the mind's eye, like the third eye sort of thing, which is like also symbolic of the self, like, you have like the transcendent self seemingly where you have like you, the embodied you self. And this is what I was saying earlier, like it's word soup because we're saying self and we mean a bunch of different things because there's you like me doing my things. But then there's also like the me observing me doing my things, which like the self-critical self, which is like, what is that? Like that's like the third, like the observant self. Um, And then too, like Jung was like, well, then you've also got like the unconscious self. So like, Outside of all of that, you have, like, the things that you're not even aware of influencing you and, like, shaping who you are. And so it's like then yeah. maybe there's some superordinate self that combines all of the conscious stuff with all the unconscious stuff. And it's like, yeah. And then so they, he calls that a self, too, which is like, okay, what are we talking about? And even if that's explicable scientifically, that level of complexity, to me, indicates even more so than opposable thumbs or anything else. The kind of nonsensical notion that that's yeah that just is random mutation over time evolution it's like really like i think you could like if we were like monkeys for real maybe but the fact that we're a little bit like monkeys we become a very 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 not like monkeys when you start explaining that level of understanding of the human experience and what is really whether physically or not going on that creates that level of dynamism within the human experience is absolutely preposterous. It's actually preposterous that we even have that at all, that anything could create that level of just, just have that many components. Like, well, there's this kind of stuff. Then there's the observer that observes the self that may or may not even exist because we have the capacity to consider whether or not the self even exists. And we can actually experimentally test that and make you think that this rubber hand is really you, but it's not. And uh, like on and on and on. And it's like, I don't know what that means, but it means something really, really, really important. So back to like all the other components of this conversation comparing it to AI, it means something really, really, really important that we have that going on compared to whether or not like AI is sentient. You know, it's like (laughs) you can kill yourself. Like we can really mess up bad. You know, you could make an accident with a gun and you can make an accident with artificial intelligence. You really don't want to do that. Hmm. Mm. Have you seen that show where there's this weird like indie film thing on Netflix (laughs) where they're down? It's like AT&T owns like the virtual world or something and they can download you into that system. But the way they do it like explodes your head or something like that. And it's like, no, I haven't seen this. Part of the question is like, what are they, even if they're downloading it, like, what are they downloading? Like, did they just kill you? And then what, it, you know, put all the technical stuff about you into like, so that thing in that world feels like you, but you're dead. You know, I mean, it's just oh like, God. 
Who knows? Uh, yeah. That's the, but you maybe we could make that kind of mistake where we actually create something that can do that. Who knows? That can create a separate entity that you think is you or or it thinks is itself or it, yeah. in the th- self that it thinks that it is is actually a replica of you but you don't exist anymore and that means something. Yeah, well to speak metaphorically like to your point, you can invite a monster into your home and not know yeah. it's a monster like there You can create the Frankenstein <laughs> or you could create the monster. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is something deep there that's like you better trust this thing like or trust what's going on and really be sure about that because you can be deceived quite easily, um, which is clearly the point people try to make over and over with the AI stuff. And it's like, clearly people are being deceived um, in some fundamental sense. But yeah, how far might that go? Like, if the AI can convince us today, like the AI, the language, ChatGPT, whatever, can convince people, you know, like X news is true or X person said X, you know, that's only a skip and a stone's throw from like convincing you of other much more dangerous things. Um, yeah, and I think know. the conclusion of like a, this kind of thinking, the only beneficial conclusion, at least in my mind, is like I said for myself, at least like I find peace in like the opposite of Dan Dennett's approach, which is that somehow, in a way, he's saying like it's all very explainable, and I'm saying. If you think you've explained the complicated thing that I'm focused on, you're gravely miss... You think I'm confused? Wow. Like, I think you've missed something dramatic here. And that leaves me with this kind of notion that there's always this unanswerable, that first miracle, the life force, the thing that got it all going, what the progenitor of the Big Bang, you know... Right. It doesn't make sense. Like nothing, the origin. like something doesn't come from nothing. That exactly. is a fundamentally impossible reality. So the fact, and there's explanations that get close to like being cool. Like, well, the reason there's no under, you can't understand the origin is because there actually wasn't one. And we're actually in a simulation now that was just turned on like a video game. So all the none of the history was necessary. You didn't have to program. You just needed a couple so stories. People crazy. think this. That you just needed a couple stories to kind of get you there a little bit. And then that would have been enough. But we've gotten so far down the line now in this simulation. But that's bullshit. And, and by the way, it doesn't explain anything because now you have to answer all those unanswerable questions in that reality that created the simulation. So in conclusion, these are unanswerable questions. And I think it's possible that if there's a reason they're unanswerable, it's because, in a sense, we're not meant to know. Yes. Because if we did, mm. if we did know, we would something really bad would happen, and we can't go through that now because yes. it's been too many hours on this podcast. But something really bad would happen if we really if we were given that yes remember in the garden of eden god told adam and eve do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil right the tree of knowledge or that was bad or where everything came from (laughs) yeah and the explanation for we've created this term or whatever god and it it means to me it's a representative of the unanswerable it is that which was and is 
and is to come. Like that's a description in the Bible of like God, the one who was and is and is to come. Like people take that to mean that like, well, that was a prophecy that Jesus would come one day. It's like, no, that maybe, but whatever. Like what it's saying is the unmoved mover, the thing that was never created. Right. It actually is the source of all things Whatever that is, that's what that word means. It's right. it, because it's so, if you could understand God, then you might be God. But since you are not, then you don't understand because it is so, it's just an, un, it's an unanswerable question that is necessary. It has to be there. Yeah. And it gives to me, the fact that that can't be answered is kind of indicates some kind of the starting point for understanding the meaning of it all, the meaning of life and everything is that, mm-hmm. look, you're not here to know where everything came from. You're not, or, or maybe the yeah. fact you can't answer it points you back to the truth, which is that, hey, since that question exists and it can't be answered, that means you came from that source, that you're inside of that. And now you have to find your place just like the chimps or the dogs or the bacteria or the mushrooms have all their places. What is a human? And that, that is a much more simple, it's difficult still, but it's much more simple and worthwhile to figure out because you don't really have that much time anyways. So we end up with like this other kind of philosophy. I don't know what they call it, like continental or something. I mean, the kind of philosophy that focuses on like, uh, it's oh, it's all about love, or yeah, all these like non-physical things that seem very important. Like we talked about last time, like justice, but maybe justice sometimes, and forgiveness sometimes, and mercy, and grace, and caring, and giving, and servanthood, and all of these things. Like I think that those things actually bring you happiness. Yeah, it's like you're not here to answer all the questions. Maybe yeah, I think if you just yeah. start from there, where it's like fundamentally you can't know and. Partly, I think that I was thinking of the apocalypse, too. It's like the apocalypse, the unveiling. It's like when you finally know, that is also the ending. That is the end yeah. of everything, you know. That's and the maybe whole, the apocalypse like, is always happening. There. Right, yeah. yeah like it's, it's a continuous process of millions and millions of people over hundreds and thousands of years uh, having this. And maybe it's moving somewhere. I thought that recently. I was like... What if we're like the worst people that ever lived? You know, like what if there's like the timeline? That's how it works. Like different like incarnations of humanity come in and now we're getting close to the end. And at the end of like ancient Rome or Greek demolition came with all these weird things, like an obsession with gender and gender roles and like very like in freedom and nudity and democracy and all these very, very liberal type things you know, culminated at the same time as the hyper egoic self. Right. It's the same time as their demise. So if that's like a, a reflection of some kind, maybe we are, we are those people in in a kind of way. And that maybe that happens physically like in Greece or, or here, but maybe it happens like spiritually or something, you know, like metaphysically where we're coming into times and maybe geography matters too. Like people always say like, Oh, like, why wasn't I born in like sub-Saharan Africa? Maybe those people are incarnating for a different thing, for a different lesson, or because they were a different thing, a different kind of 
entity or you know what I'm saying? Like who knows? But those are like mysteries that exist within the grand mystery of what is everything? Like why, how, what are these unanswerable questions? And now I'm here and I can like rack my brain having annoying podcasts like this that make me stressed out and tired and probably difficult to listen to. And or and for some people they're really it's really fun to think about this, but I don't know where most people end up landing. So like I land on that unanswerable thing where any it could be any of those things. I'm willing for it to be those things in any realm, like any direction that I go to think about it, whether it's reincarnation, Christianity, ancient philosophy, ancient history, psychology, I kind of always land back on, I don't really know, but it seems like there's a way to be no matter what, you know, like you, cause you could be, you could have all those thoughts, like a lot of deep thoughts down different rabbit trails and be like a horrible, hateful, angry person. And then what good is any of it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. But if, so if you're finding the right thing, I don't know. I don't know if there's an ultimate truth. And if there is, I don't, it may be just as un- uncomprehendable as. Well, there's something the un- too, yeah, between living like that and knowing the truth or whatever. Like, I think, just imagine like what it would be like to live like Jesus or live the righteous life or live whatever, the good life. It's like, do you really think it, it necessitates you knowing like intellectually and, you know, it might be helpful, but it definitely not going to make you live like that, just knowing those things. Um, yeah. Is your, like, God the Father, you know, is your father, your mother, whatever, your grand progenitor, is it elitist? Like, there's only the super heavy, like, the, the deep thinkers get to go to heaven. Yeah, only yeah, the oh intellectuals ever get to, uh, ever, if only if you think deeply and be very intellectual and no big words, can you ever actually do be the right kind of person and do the right kind of thing, come to the right kind of conclusions. That doesn't seem possible to me. Right, right, yeah. I feel like I've also met people who are not highly educated and are like really great people. Like, uh, our grandmother that recently died. She was just like super good. I never knew a bad thing about her. And I she what she didn't strike me as like a genius or an intellectual or anything, you know, she was just did life, you know. And there's something admirable about that, you know. She made pecan pies and gave them away and Yeah. You don't whatever, need to you know? make your TikTok and half naked garb. Um <laughs> so to speak yeah what does that what does it say about us you know we're yeah. we are lost souls for sure <laughs> lost generation i don't know yeah well, maybe think, something's yeah. about to be revealed to us though as a society who knows yeah well we i hope that it, i part of me thinks that we need to be humbled and uh you don't want to uh be humbled circumstantially all the time sometimes that's really 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 painful and i worry for america like it's hubris if there's mm-hmm. if there is that kind of spiritual level of occurrences and and events yeah. then like we need to chill the fuck out pray for america before, literally because <laughs> god knows cuz it does get to a point where you're like yo dude like hundreds of thousands of 18 year olds are showing their to quote Sam Tripoli their booty holes on OnlyFans for money that doesn't seem good uh I can't intellectualize why it's bad for you. I'm just going to say 
that doesn't seem something seems a good. little off about this. It doesn't seem a little um, unsettling. It doesn't seem productive for anybody. And when I think about it, when I try to be like, oh, it's okay, I'm hyper liberal. I'm like, I have to, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety. That I have to just put that, put that away, no, bury that down. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like I'm like, literally, I'm like, well, I mean, what's the big deal? I what's mean, the big deal? Like, it's like just people, you know, doing people things. And it's like, and there's a, a level at which I'm like, yes, that's true, and that you whatever. Like, yeah, we all do really stupid shit, (laughs) but I feel like we're all doing a lot of stupid shit collectively all the time at a way too high of a level. It's just, it's a lot, we're getting really ridiculous and I don't know, we sound moralistic and like religious, but like, I think like naked bodies can be beautiful. Like I really think that. Like I really, really think that. You know, like I don't know what I don't have. Like I don't know what to say about it or to do about it or how to tell you how that should be interacted with. But I don't know if OnlyFans is right. You know, like I don't like. There's something about it that's like, hmm. Mm, I don't there's know. There's something about the premises that we've layered. It like got to the point that yeah. we're like, now this is good. You know, it's like, well, maybe the foundation here of all the like layering of the arguments. It's like, oh, I don't know. This this foundation is very stable. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know yeah. what it all means, but I think it's worth considering. And like, I I think maybe there's like a piece of you. Like there's something, maybe there's something inside of us. Like, so the reason I can't answer where everything came from and the reason I can't answer why OnlyFans is a problem, but I still kind of know it, you know, like I still know we came from somewhere. I still know that there is an answer somehow to the unanswerable and the answer might be God. Like that's just, it just, sorry, he just exists. It may suck that it, that there's, that you're not the, basically the equivalent to a God. But it might just be that way. You know, like there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger, a stronger guy. There's always someone better than you. You know, right before you post your butthole on OnlyFans for money, maybe you have a feeling that's like, I don't know, this seems like, I don't know if I should do, should I post this? I don't know. This seems weird. Maybe that thing, whatever that is, is important. And we can't understand why we find morals like that, you know, but they are there's something to them because we've that's one thing we've definitely done in our in our culture is just gone taboos out the window nothing's taboo everything's great everything's wonderful do it all you know and that's it's like, the postmodern thing it's like it's just the language that's made it taboo it's like people said taboo and then that became bad and it's like you just need to rid yourself of that feeling because it's actually all fine and, and it's like it just is what you say it is if you say it's good it's good and it's like oh i i mean who Okay, and maybe but that, we're really lost with yeah. that philosophy. And maybe what we're seeing in our society is maybe that eventually that like metaphysical thing becomes physical eventually. So like fat is beautiful when in fact fat causes heart attacks. You know, it's like maybe eventually you can go down these roads. Maybe the consequence comes anyway. You just, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's like two plus two plus two plus two, you know, it just, it en- eventually just adds up, you know, like if, if we all just accepted that then we'd all be really fat and unhealthy and tired and out of breath and die and have sleep apnea. You know what I mean? You just, it, it comes on its own. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what only fans culture or tender culture, grinder culture, what, who knows what that culminates into, but people will have to draw those threads through once we 
see them. And maybe there's some people who are on the cutting edge of that and don't even know it. We're like, oh, the birth rate's really problematic. Uh, could have total collapse of the uh, population. Wonder what's going on here. Oh, women aren't having children. It's like a philosophy that we've enacted and enacted and enacted mentally over and over and over. And it manifested eventually physically. And now we have other issues. And then it's only because we're so dumb and intellectual that we don't see it until it hits us in the face and we go, oh, whoops, that was stupid. Yeah. Shouldn't do that. Yeah. We lack the foresight back to the sight thing. Yeah. To see where we're heading. Interesting. Well, this has been exhausting uh, or exhausting. It's been an adventure. It's been up and down and in and out and ride around and through and about and over <laughs> all the prepositions. All the prepositions. We pretty much, I feel like we hit like everything on my list from the last episode that I said we always talk about. It was like animals, life and death, <laughs> oh me, what does everything mean? I mean, everything was on the list. It almost was annoying. I was like, can we get away from this somehow? What's the way out of this fucking conversation? This is actually just one conversation iterated over and over and over again. And yeah. Yeah. Oh.